All right, if you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we'll take the rest of our time tonight. And my plan is on Wednesday nights just to continue the study I was doing online uh, and, until we are finished with that. So that'll be a few more weeks. So ho- hopefully you've had an opportunity to, uh, to be with us online. We've been talking about two important spiritual disciplines, prayer and Bible study. And so I spent the first, I don't know, six weeks or so talking about prayer and fleshing out biblical models of prayer. If you didn't get a chance to listen to those, they're available on the website. All the handouts are available on the website as well. And and then we switched from talking about prayer to talking about building a better Bible habit. How can we be better students of the Bible? I, I think one of the great needs of the church is that the church would have men and women who are avid students of the Word of God, that you would know the Word. Not so much that you don't need me, all right, but that you would know the Word. What a blessing it is to pastors to have men and women and young people in the pews. I love hearing the Bibles open. Um, I I love hearing your responses uh, when, when you say you're reading this, you're reading that, you're studying this, studying that, and how God's Word is working in your hearts. It is a blessing. Because that is how God builds His people, and it's how God is going to build His church. So I felt like it was a good opportunity for us to revisit uh, maybe some material you've heard before and uh, think carefully through what does it mean to build a better Bible habit, how, how can we do that. So we talked about issues of loving the Word of God and then trusting the Word of God. And then for the last few weeks, we have been in what I would call the nuts and bolts of this, and that is how to, using the Word of God. So when it comes down to it, how do we actually use the Bible? I think this is where a lot of folks, well-meaning, well-intentioned folks, find themselves getting stuck. You hear a message like this, maybe you hear a series of them, and you think, yes, I need to study the Bible, I need to read the Bible. And so you get up the next day, and you sit down to do it, and you hear the crickets chirping, right? You think, well, I don't know what to do here. What, what do I do with this thing? And the preacher said to do it. He's always right, so he said to do it, so surely this is something that I need to be doing. So that's what I've been hoping um, to instill, to try and provide you uh, with some specific instruction on how to study the Bible well. Now, as, as we begin tonight, I wanted to turn our attention to another illustration of the importance of this before we jump back into the material again. And that is in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the first seven verses. I I doubt anybody's going to read this and think I've never read this passage before. If you've never read this passage before, I'd love to know that, actually. All right? Because this is a pretty big deal. In fact, the first 12 chapters of Genesis, big deal. It has been argued, and I think they're right, Every major doctrine in the Bible that is fleshed out throughout the rest of the Bible is found in the first 12 chapters. Every major doctrine, not in its fullness, but every major doctrine of theology is found in the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. It it is undeniable the significance of these chapters. Chapter 3 then being the fall of humanity. All right, so we're going to read, and then I'll, I'll draw out what I think are some important connections that I hope continue to motivate us to be better students of the Bible. 
Verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, now, again, there's no denying the significance of this, these verses. Uh, these explain, if, if you ever have anybody ask a question, why is the world the way it is? It's really not that hard of a question to answer. Why are we where we are today? Genesis 3. Next question. I mean, really, there's no other better answer. That is it. This is why. Now, specifics on very specific issues, maybe that would require elaboration. But why are we where we are? Well, it's because Genesis chapter 3. That's why. I mean, this passage has been studied, analyzed, preached, taught, dissected for centuries. So it's really familiar to us. But tonight, what I want to do is just take a moment... And think about it from this context of what we have been studying, looking at the significance of the Word of God, the significance of knowing God's Word, studying God's Word, believing God's Word for the people of God. Because I think there's no better illustration of this, of the need for this, than Genesis chapter 3. You know, so, so we're, we're kind of aware of the details here, right? And there, we could get lost in a lot of details in going through these first seven verses. But after making the beauty of creation, after creating then not only all things, but then the first husband and wife living in the garden, that there's no context given to us other than this introduction to this serpent, this cunning beast which the Lord God had made. And so we're aware of Satan's temptation, right? We're, we're aware of the way in which he, with, with great skill and cleverness and subtlety, was, was able to encourage Eve to disobey the only thing God said for them not to do. Now, he gave them a couple of positive commands, right? He said, be fruitful, multiply. Right? He told, that was a positive command, but the only no that he gave him, there's only one. I've always thought how, how amazing would that be that you wake up every day and there's only one no in your life. There's only one not to do in your life. Can you imagine that? What it'd be like to wake up and the only not thing you should do? And that's, that's the life they were living. There's only one no God had ever given to them. Don't eat of this one tree. And yet this is the very thing that Satan goes after. But I think the more I read this, the more I study this, and I've thought about this several times over the years, I am convinced that the issue here, 
that the real skill and craftiness of Satan, and that's who I think that is, by the way, just so we're clear, the real skill and craftiness here of this temptation is not the temptation to eat the fruit. The temptation is about God's Word. In other words, Satan understands, and I think he's a one-trick pony, by the way. This is all he's got, but he does it really well. He understands that the issue is not getting me to do wrong things. The issue in temptation is not encouraging me to commit various specific individual sins. He's, he's working one step before that, that rather than getting me to do A or B or C that God said not to do, he's coming back to the very beginning And he's going to encourage me to, in one way or another, disregard, dismiss, or ignore the Word of God. So so I want you to see this here in in this text, and and the notes for tonight are a little bit different because like you got this big chunk where I've kind of laid out this, uh, this issue for you. Rather than encouraging Eve... To eat of the tree. You'll notice, by the way, Satan never tells Eve to eat anything. You may need to go back and read it again for yourself to find out if I'm really telling the truth. But Satan never tells her to eat anything. Satan doesn't even identify the tree in question. He says nothing about eating anything. Satan's whole focus here is encouraging Eve to disregard God's command. In fact, there are two specific questions. I've got them there for you in your notes. Two specific questions that I think really Satan is trying to instill into the mind of Eve. Number one, can I believe what God has said? Can I believe what God has said? Look again at verse 1. This is what he says to her. He doesn't say to the woman, look at the tree of the, no, uh, the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Looks good, doesn't it? Take a bite. I mean, he doesn't say that. He comes to her and says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Those three opening words, four really in the English, has God indeed said This is really the only thing I think Satan's concerned with. He does the exact same thing to Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. This is, this is his primary concern, to encourage people to question the Word of God. Does the Bible mean what it says? And so taking it all the way into our day, can I believe what God has said? Can I believe it? Has God really said this? And really, just we've talked about this, I think, in a number of, of contexts. This is absolutely a disease in the evangelical church today. And I say evangelical, I don't mean mainline liberal churches. No, they, they've already died from this cancer. They've already died from this cancer. I mean so called evangelical churches that are questioning the infallibility of the Bible. 
And we've talked about people who are doing that very thing, who are, who are questioning whether or not the Bible should have a central concern. I, I've told you before, one of the biggest ones doing this is Andy Stanley. He's done it again. He has doubled down on his idea that the heart of what we believe is the resurrection, not because the Bible says so. It's a, I don't even understand the notion. Now, we've talked about this before. I don't understand that. But he has come out and said, you, you need to stop. He's told pastors this, by the way. Pastors, you need to stop telling people to believe something because the Bible said so. Instead, you need to focus on the resurrection. It's almost comical to say it out loud because why do you know about the resurrection? The Bible said so, all right? Yes, right. You don't need to know Greek to get that one, right? You don't need seminary to understand this. But this is what is happening in the evangelical church. Again, not just the, the mainline uh, dead Protestant denominations. I, I, mean, I mean churches that at one time would have held to orthodoxy and they seem to be abandoning it. This is Satan's temptation. Has, can, can I really believe God's Word? Do I need to believe the Word? Now, what's interesting is then Eve's response, right? Woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She almost got it, right? And you've picked up on this before. So, so, so Satan is already kind of instilling into her mind the possibility. Has God really said what you think he said? And again, just thinking about today's world, has, has God really said that marriage is to be between a man and a woman? Has God really said that? So, so these, these are the subtle ways that the devil, I think, is still at work, all right? So has God really said, well, here's what God said. This is what Eve replies. Here's what God said. We, we, we may not eat of the tree that's in the midst. In fact, don't even touch it. Well, he didn't say that. He didn't actually say that. I mean, he said, do not eat of it lest you die. But that whole, that phrase, nor shall you touch it, there's no record in Genesis 1 or 2 God ever saying those words. I'm not saying that was a bad idea for her not to touch it, but what, what, what do we have happening? We have Satan encouraging Eve to question what God has really said. Now we have evidence that maybe Eve doesn't really know what God has said. Maybe there's at least, there's at least some addition here that doesn't belong here. Has, has God really said this? Can I believe what God has said? So, so he's, now that he's got this inroad, now he jumps on it. So he goes from the first one, can I believe what God has said? And now he goes to number two, can I trust why God has said it? Can I believe it? Can I trust it? I really find this to be a very subtle temptation here, part of it. It's really sneaky, it's really deceptive, but what is Satan going to do with the woman? He's going to encourage her to think that maybe God's motives are less than pure. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So is this not really subtle here? Satan is able again to do what? He's he's not challenging her at the point of action. He is challenging her at the point of what she believes. He's challenging her at the point of God's word. Has God really said this? Have you kind of teased out the motivations for God saying this? All right, in other words, you know, he, he, can, can I believe what God said? Eve comes along in essence and says, yes, I believe what God said. So now he goes on to tactic number two. Well, do I really trust it? Is this really the only way to look at things? In fact, maybe God's keeping me from something. Maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe his, maybe his word is not the last word or the final word or the only word. Again, I find this so subtle. It's why he's crafty. Because he's yet to tell her, you should eat of that fruit. Fruit looks good. He never says it. He attacks her at the point of ideas. He attacks her at the point of God's word. This is why knowing, believing, trusting God's word is so essential. So here's what I think is going on then in verse 6. In verse 6, Now that Satan, in his craftiness, has encouraged Eve to look at the world through a different lens, he, in essence, has removed the boundary of God's Word from Eve's eyesight. And now she's going to look at it from her own perspective. No longer is she going to look at it now from the perspective of death. To disobey God's command is to invite death. That's no longer going to be the issue. Now she wonders, all right, what is God's motivation here? And so it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Satan didn't tell her that. I mean, it's not recorded, right? Satan never said that. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Satan never said that. And a tree desirable to make one wise. How does she know that by looking at it? She doesn't. Can you you look at a plant and say, you know, if I eat that, that's going to make me really smart. That's what I think when I look at a bag of Doritos, right? But it hadn't worked yet, all right? That's what I think when I look at Ben and Jerry's. But I mean, can you look at that stuff and can you say, wow, if I eat of that, I think... I think that'll make me wise. How does she know this? Because Satan told her. He didn't tell her it was good for food. He didn't tell her it was pleasant. But he did say, this will help you see the world differently. So notice what has happened. Not only did he come at her by saying, can you really believe what God has said? And can you really trust God's motivations for saying what he has said? But now, what is Eve actually doing? Now she has dumped God's word, and now she's looking at it through Satan's word. He has enabled her to remove the glasses of God's word and put his on. And so now, what does she do? She took of the fruit and she ate. She gave it to her husband and he ate. And then both of them had their eyes opened. Well, it's too late now. In other words, there's a sense in which Satan was right. 
Their eyes were opened. It's open to a knowledge they did not have before. What was that knowledge? The knowledge of disobeying God. What is life like when you disobey God's command? What does the world look like after you disobey God's command? They'd never known what that was like. They do now. Again, I, I think this whole story is so instructive because, because it helps us understand the significance of God's Word. God, right from the beginning, I, I would argue that the primary sin of Genesis chapter 3 is not the eating of the fruit. It is the questioning of God's Word. It is the questioning of God's Word. Because as soon as you question the Word, you're going to eat the fruit. That's why you eat the fruit. You eat the fruit because you question the Word. And this is what I think Satan is doing. Satan is encouraging God's people to not know the Word. If he'd love nothing more, you know what he'd love nothing more? If you want to wake up every day and read the best Christian books in the world, but never read the Bible, he'd be pleasantly surprised and happy with you. If you wake up every day and spend time singing great songs about Jesus and praying, but never once cracking the book. Satan's good with that. Because the thing that God uses to govern, command, and guide His people is His Word. It is His Word. And if I'm not in it, Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to view my world through some lens, through some glasses. There's going to be glasses on my face looking at it. What are those glasses going to be? There's only two options. I'm either going to look at it through God's Word or through Satan's. If I look at it through Satan's Word, I'm going to see things like I shouldn't see them. See, understand that when Eve ate of the fruit, she didn't do so because Satan tempted her to do so. She ate of the fruit because she wanted to do it because Satan got her to look at the world differently so the imperative of God's word now that took longer than I thought it would all right so but that's no surprise we're back we're back so no more shorter sermons all right so so in other words so we're back all right we're just back I want you all to feel as normal as possible all right so there you go so we didn't come close to finishing things so what we'll do then next week is we'll jump back into this and, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish out um, this, this outline probably over the next couple of weeks. And, and so, you know, what we're going to do then is I'm going to fill out what we started last week. So, so undoubtedly, based on Genesis 3, we need to be people of the Word. This is a serious thing, by the way. This is a serious thing because Satan's tricks are subtle they're deceptive. That's why he's crafty. He doesn't come at you like, like just, he doesn't come at you just right in your face. Comes at you from these different ways. He asks these clever little questions. Is that really what God said? Is that really what it means? Oh, you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. We can't really trust that. We've got to go with our heart. In other words, these subtle ways in which this kind of false way of looking at the world can come in. So we've got to be people of the Word. We've got to know this Word. And I think that means we should try our best to prepare ourselves to study it in the best possible way. And so we're going to continue to flesh out what are seven principles of studying the Bible well. Seven principles. I started it last week. Last week online, I gave you the first one. If we're going to use the Bible well, we need to put these study 
principles to work for us, the first one being the literal principle. In other words, the, the basic approach you should take to the Bible is looking for its plain sense. That's what I mean by the literal principle. And I gave this little uh, cliche statement, maybe you've heard it before, uh, when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. It's kind of a well-regarded principle in, in Bible study material, right? So, so that, that's kind of point number one. I'm going to look at it. And that, by the way, is a great way to challenge Satan's question. Has God really said? So let, let's take the, the big issue I just mentioned before. Has God really said marriage is to be between a man and a woman? Yes. Yes, he literally asked. It is very clear. The only way for it not to be is for you to go in there and monkey with it, right? You got to go into the text and say, well, that doesn't mean what you think it means. That means something else than what the church has thought for 2,000 years. So, so the, this is, this is uh, really Bible study 101. When I'm reading it, I'm looking for the plain sense of the text. We, we've got to believe that God is able to write a book. And he's able to write a book in human language so that humans can understand it. And so that the next week we'll jump on into the rest of them. All right? So uh, don't worry about hold, holding on to this. I'll keep providing this material. And I don't know when we'll get back to the way things just normally are, ha- handing out stuff, that kind of thing. But, uh, but for now, we'll try and provide you with the system that we have as it's set up. So uh, take this with you, though. And, uh, oh, one other thing. If you didn't get this off the website... I have provided you, and I'm not going to do this again next week, I have provided you with the document that I think is one of the best helps you can have if you're going to be studying the Bible. Basic questions for inductive Bible study. And what this does is it gives you general questions you can be thinking through as you're reading through a passage of the Bible, but it also gives you specific questions to ask when you're reading specific types of Bible material. In other words, the way you study Romans is not the same way that you would necessarily study Psalms or Revelation. In other words, these have different literary features to them. So, I have found this really helpful. I didn't come up with it. Uh, it's, 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 it's from these resources you see referenced here, so kind of classic questions. But take a look at that. That might help you as you read through whatever passage you've decided to land on and uh, whatever text of Scripture you're trying to study. So we'll come back together next week. Keep in mind for next week, we will be adding kids and youth, so spread that word around. Uh, There will be something for uh, all ages then next week as we gather together again. Uh, Otherwise, we'll we'll hope to to see you Sunday, and uh, we look forward to being able to worship together. All right, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the gathering of your people tonight, uh, the opportunity to pray together, to study your word together. We do want to be people of your word. We thank you for this precious word. We thank you for a sure and certain word in such an uncertain world. So, Father, that we would give our time and attention to it, to a careful reading and studying and applying the word to our lives. I thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ who have gathered together tonight to want to pray together and study your word together. What a blessing it is to be with God's people. I pray now that as we leave from here, that we would know your manifest presence with us, confident that, that you are indeed with us. But may we know that as we live and obey and serve you, God, that you would use your people as a means to your end and for your glory, and that you'd gather us back together again, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. 
That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.